Intentions, a steamy enemies to lovers office romance by Carmen Falcone. Playing it safe after a messy divorce, assisted living HR director Nikki Brady focuses on raising her twin boys and caring for her grandmother. But when her friends dare her to buy a hot guy drink, sparks fly until she finds out he's her new boss. Eager to gain his father's approval and cut corporate costs, Cole Myler is determined to move the retirement community they acquired out of its current location. But after discovering the sexy brunette he kissed at the bar is rallying the residents to resist the transfer, he doesn't know if he should fire her or take the kiss they shared to the next level. Battling to keep her grandma from being sent away, Nikki doesn't count on falling for her enemy. And just as Cole embraces his scorching desire for the quirky single mom, Meeting her sons triggers his most traumatic childhood memory and threatens the promise of a future with Nikki. Bad Intentions is the steamy first book in the Bad Girls Club contemporary romance series. If you like swoony alpha heroes, sizzling chemistry, and a dash of humor, then you'll adore Carmen Falcone's hot office romance. That's Bad Intentions, a steamy enemies to lovers office romance, and it's 99 cents. Go grab it now. Welcome back, lady listeners. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thanks for joining us again. We're here with the second installment of Heart Campaign by Rebecca Gallo. So welcome back with us. I don't know if I mentioned it on the last episode, but my husband's gone for a whole week. Like an entire week, he's not home. This is like the longest we've been apart since I don't know when. God. I have a question. Is it harder or easier when the husband is gone? Mm, I had to take the trash out, so harder. So day one, it's harder. <laughs> That's the only thing extra I had to do, though. Let me just say that. That's the only thing that he would have done were he home today. Yeah. <laughs> he probably would have brought me lunch, though, to be fair. And I had to go get Taco Bell by myself, I'm like a peasant. <laughs> I haven't gone to Taco Bell in forever because my town, always close to the drive through they put a trash can in it. So you have to go inside, and they don't oh, have the no. app. <gasps> no. Well, so I, I just, just – that I would be grounds for, like, an assault. <laughs> and my son is convinced that only the Taco Bell in my town has good pink lemonade at the Taco Bell. Really? Like, he refuses. Like, I've gone to other Taco Bells, and it's like, the lemonade's not right. I'm like, you're a psycho. Maybe it is different. You never know. I they guess. control those little carbon things in it. Maybe it's different. I guess. Maybe so. Are you telling me that you would not believe this when you have these same tendencies? This is true. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is a very, very, very good do. point, actually. Yeah. Now that you said that. Yeah, because I go to certain, like, places for ice and certain places for, like, the yeah. stupidest shit. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> You'll go to four different fast food restaurants. Yes. Okay. No, you're right. <laughs> oh my god. All right. So he's my husband's in Colorado for a week for work. They had a conference there. It's not like a big conference or anything, but he has for his degree, he has to get so many hours a year that are like um that keep his degree, I guess, relative like active or something. Yeah. I don't know. So much training or something. Yeah. So he had to go to this thing. The last year he was able to do it online, but this year they offered it in person. And we have a friend that lives out there. So he's staying out there and they're gonna hang out and stuff. So it's nice. But um it had me wondering like what is I would like to know what is a typical day in the life of Melissa? So like start to finish, what what did you what do you do all day? I wanna know. I don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, give me an give me an hour, like an hour breakdown. What do you do? Okay, I get up around eleven, but I like to lay there and go through all my messages and emails and just look over everything. Cause I'm not super chatty in the mornings when I wake up, or that's my morning. Everybody else is already going. Then I get dressed. I might pick up the house a little bit. If there's something I forgot to do, I'll hurry and do it. Then I go to the gym. My kids walk down from school because it's like two blocks. Then I take them home. Or no, if they what come. What time is that? What time is that when they come to the gym? They meet me there at 2.20. Okay. And I spend an hour at the gym. 
So I get to the gym around one. And Mm -hmm. if I'm early or late, I'll Pokemon around. Mm -hmm. Then we all go to like Starbucks and pick up something to eat. Then we come back home and I shower if there's shows I want to watch. And then I work like I work weirdly. I work at the top of the hour. Like Mm -hmm. every time there's I try to start working by like four or five. And at the top of the hour, I just do work for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And then I'm free to like mess around and look at pictures or mess with pictures or anything like that. Or read. And what time is this that you start like like doing stuff on the top of the hour? Usually around like four or five, but then I'll quit around like seven or eight or I'll quit a few hours. So family's coming in and out and then I'll get back to it after the kids are down in bed. Okay. And it just depends on how much I need mm-hmm. to do is how long it'll go for. And sometimes I just quit or sometimes I'll get wrapped up in something else. Like if I'm doing pictures a lot, I do that a lot is play with pictures. It's actually very relaxing, even though it's work sometimes. So, well, that's what I was going to ask. Like what time is your bedtime? Oh, whenever I get tired, I try to close my laptop around two or three. That's every night. And you sleep till 11? Well, sometimes I can't go to sleep. So yeah. like the last weekend, for some reason, I had the headache and stuff. I couldn't sleep. So oddly, I realized today when I was thinking about it, my husband's been um, like rubbing my back or whatever. He has to like mm-hmm. soothe me. So if he's awake and making sure I'm not fidgeting with my phone or fidgeting around, like rubbing my feet together, mm-hmm. if he's there, it calms me for some weird reason and I'll fall asleep. So sometimes I have to be like, I need you to come, like, rub on me. <laughs> yeah. Is he usually awake at this time? Yeah, he has different hours. I mean, he's up and down. I never know when he's going to be doing stuff. But sometimes he's off with my dad early in the morning after he takes my kids mm-hmm. back. And he'll come and take weird naps. And yeah, he takes the kids to school every morning. They get up at, like, 5.45, I think. Jesus Christ. What time does our school start? Well, Peyton is like me. He needs like an hour. They leave at oh, 6.45. to get ready. Yeah. Okay. He's slow going. I, we're just really slow. I don't, I need like an hour and I don't want to talk to anybody. Oh, God. But they get up and. My kids would die. Rob makes br- a big breakfast every morning. Sometimes I'm like, I should just stay up for breakfast. <laughs> really? You should. You're so <laughs> close to it. But yeah, they go do that and then he comes back and sometimes he'll be up or whatever so that's like i would say that's like your typical like everyday thing for the past like month but i feel like i'm ever changing sometimes i'll switch again and be up super early or what i don't know i used Mm -hmm. to get up at like before covid and everything when there was school like seven Mm -hmm. i think yeah yeah i guess it's different now because you're not getting up and like taking your kids in the morning yeah, I used to take them, but now I have to make sure I'm there for when they get off. So I got to be mm-hmm. out of the house usually by like 12.30, 12.45 to make it to the gym and stuff. I said, I generally wake up at 7. That's like, I'll set my alarm for like 6.30, 6.45, and I'll just hit snooze a few times before I get up. But I have to get up just to help the kids get ready because my husband, when he wakes up, all he has to do is get himself ready. Yeah. That's it. That's all he has to do is get himself ready and go out the door. And I want to punch him in his mouth some days when that happens. So it's probably good he's not here right now because I'm like really aggressive about it. But, um, but no, so like, but he generally will take the kids to school in the morning because it's on the way to work for him. But I'll like get up and get them ready. And then I'll like work and answer messages and emails and post and and do all the social media shit like the first part of the morning. Yeah. And generally, like, by lunchtime, I've, like, read your part, gone through it, and then my husband comes home. He usually brings me lunch, or I'll make him something if it's here. And then I'll either write or, like, do, like, if we're doing giveaways, I have to, like, close those out and, like, print labels and all that shit or go to the post office and then whatever fucking shit I got to do around town. And then I'll write before I have to pick the kids up. And then I'll pick them up and then take them to whatever their after school shit is. Come home, dinner, then like hang out bed. Like it's, that's generally it all the time. Yeah. So 
I say all this, like this is sort of our example. I posted on Instagram, I said, authors, what's your most productive time of day? And I gave them slots to choose from. So I'll tell you the least to the most. So the least amount of people said their most productive time of day are right. I said 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. That was the least chosen. No, mine would be like, I don't know, like nine till I go to bed. So, yeah, you'd be in the majority then. So the the other one was 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. That would probably actually that would probably be my most word count would be in that time because I generally do so much other bullshit like that goes mm-hmm. along with it before I actually sit down to write. Like there's so much other stuff I have to do before then that even though I'm productive, my word count pr- probably doesn't start till closer to like two. But I can um, imagine waking up and writing immediately. Right? No, that would be but hard. I, if nobody's here, I can do it. Yeah. yeah. That's really nice, actually, just to wake up and get coffee and sit down and go for it. Like, not because the hesitation is what gets you bogged down. It's like if you just sit down and do it, it's you're going. I don't know. I love started. to write when the sun is down. Like, I don't like the sun being up. As weird as that is, I don't know what it, it is. It's weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The th- there were there were four possible answers. The second highest choice was two a.m. to eight a.m. That was the second highest chosen one, and I would two a.m. to eight a.m. Who is writing in these hours? That is insane to me. I guess I don't know. When you work for yourself, you can kind of go whenever you want. Yeah, I can. Maybe if you don't have like small children or something, or maybe if you do have small kids, they wake up like that's when you write. I don't know. Like, I mean, like I know, I know some authors will get up at like four and five in the morning and write before everybody gets out of bed. And I've done that before, and that's actually not bad. But I lose the rest of the day once I do that because I'm so exhausted by like five o'clock. I can't keep my eyes open. Yeah. So it's like, okay, what am I sacrificing here? Like, you know, productivity or sleep. Yeah. And then the number one choice was 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. I concur with that. That astounded me. I like that. That was because my writing will change. It depends on how much I need to write or whatever. But sometimes I'll do like I'll put on my favorite show and every commercial break I have to write 200 words. Yeah. I have to pause I mean, and I can't sense. push play again until I get the words. <laughs> so. You're fighting with yourself a lot. Yeah. <laughs> You're setting up a lot of bargains. Yeah. I just kind of found that really interesting just from a, a writer's perspective, like what that sort of like, um, you know, what a day in the life of a writer was like. Um, I have a lot of lady listener emails that I want to read, mostly because I asked about age gap romances. And I haven't read any of these, but we got so many good emails about them. About recommendations Um, or their own age gap? Their own age gap romances. I know. So I haven't read through any of these, but the first one on top is not that. This is a a, um, more recent email, and I just wanted to read it real quick. It says, hello to my favorite lady podcasters. So I'm trying to play catch up with the pod because I just had a baby and I let a few things slip through the cracks. LOL. I'll add a picture. And she did her baby's adorable. Um, but on this, ep- but on this episode, 128.1, you're talking about 50 Shades of Grey and this man, which just so happens to be two of my all time favorites. I reread them at least twice a year. And Leah, you're totally right. It's like a comfort read. Getting to go back and know that the HEA is just happiness. Mm. Love you, babes. Can't wait to get caught up. And I know what's going on in your lives real time. LOL. Much love, Alyssa. You can say my name. Good, because I did. <laughs> but I thought that was really sweet. Like, it was it was like that re-rating on Dublin Street this mm-hmm. past weekend, just because I knew it was going to be okay. I knew it was going to be, t- like... The sex is going to be hot, but the narrator, man, she put it over the top. I already started looking for other books this narrator does because she was so good. I love that. All right. So this says age gap romance. My father is 93 years old. Oh, my God. I thought it said her mother was 25. (laughs) It says my mother is 25 years younger. Okay. okay, so my father is 93 years old. My mother is 25 years younger. I have always been aware of the gap in their age because I have two sisters who are a year and two year, a year and two years older than my mom. Holy shit. 
I guess those are his other kids. I've never cared because it's all that I've ever known. A couple of my older half-siblings have apparently been holding my mom responsible for the reason why their mom and our father did not get back together after they divorced. Oh, shit. That's some family drama. Never mind the fact that it happened years in between the divorce and the time that my parents met. My half-brother actually approached my mom at a funeral and told her that it's been over 40 years, so he may as well let it go and accept the relationship. My mom is Bama born and raised. Oh, Alabama. Raised, and she usually kills them, kills them with kindness. But she said to him, I don't give a damn what you accept. I ain't going nowhere, and neither is he. Till death do us part, baby boy. Needless to say, no one has said anything else to my mom about acceptance. I've never heard my parents have a real argument. They don't go to bed upset about anything from their from their day without talking it over with the other person. They share a bowl of ice cream every night. Mom is lactose intolerant. Don't tell her I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad about also kind of okay that my dad has had mild prostate issues because my mom is an oversharer. Oh, God. <laughs> he is healthy as a horse otherwise. And they, and uh, otherwise, and they prayers have a lot of time. Le- oh, and they have a lot of time left to finish their bucket list. Oh, that was George up. That was really sweet. I like that one. All right. This says, my age gap love story. My name is Courtney. Oh, I guess I can say your name. (laughs) She just went in for it. My name is Courtney. My boyfriend and I have a 14-year age gap with him being 37 and I 23. We have a kind of sketchy beginning which starts with him and my crazy-ass ex-husband, who is also 37, having drinks in October 2020 at a mutual friend's house. Comparing ex-wife stories at some point, a... You'd like my ex. She has this amazing fat ass. <laughs> oh, my God. What? Continues to tell him how kinky and crazy I am. So he looks me up and friend requests me on Facebook, which prompted me to do my stalker shit and find his connections to my ex-husband. I chewed him out, told him everything I knew, showed all of my crazy off the bat, and he still asked me out. After wearing me down enough to, we went on the first day on November 21st, 2020. We got dinner, went to a bargain store, Christmas shopping for our kids, and got drinks. I was sitting at a bar that I said some, I was sitting at a bar that I said some dumbass shit, and he threw his head back in laughing at me. It was that laugh when I knew that I had fucked up and I would fall in love with this man. Absolutely fucked on the first day. We made the relationship official a few months later on the same bar or booth. Then a month later, he told me he loved me for the first time, and I responded with a blank stare. Wait, what? Before regretfully, before fully registering it. His oldest daughter is 18. She recently told me I'm her best friend and am the best thing that happened to her dad. I may have teared up a bit. She told him he has to propose in that bar booth now, though neither of us have intentions of marrying again. Okay, Courtney, I'm going to need a happily ever after yeah. on that email. Thank you. I'm going to need you to follow up. Thank you. All right. This is Age Gap Romance. Hello, my name is Chris. I'm a longtime listener. Love you ladies so much. I have two age gap stories. The first is not about me, but my aunt. Imagine this. It's early 1970s, rural Midwest, middle of Indiana, I guess. A 16-year-old girl meets younger, young priest, 33. <gasps> Oh, no. Who young, who runs the youth programs at church. They fall in love, and when she's 18, the adults find out. He gets shipped out to priest redemption camp. Not even kidding. <laughs> I'm a non-Catholic. I had no idea this was a thing. No, I didn't either. I was like, there's redemption camp? I didn't know either. Let's go see it. I know. It's like, let's go see the bad voice of the priesthood. <laughs> I know. Let's take a field trip. He gets shipped out. Um, they stay in contact even though it's against the rules. Hmm, rule breakers. He quits the fatherhood about six months later and returns to town. They decide to run off together and move in together before marriage. This is a huge deal. There was literally only one Catholic church in town, so everyone knew what was happening. First time visiting the family, my grandpa met him at the house with a shotgun and threatened his life. They stayed together and got married a few years later. They have three kids, several grandkids. They spend their retirement years as master gardeners. Still in love, still happy. Good She was 16. He was 33. Oh, shit. Maybe not good for that. <laughs> mm. 
Okay. No, they claim they did not sleep together until she was of legal age. It was a huge scandal, but they both are so happy and so in love. And yes, this is a true story. I left out the most exciting details, but I don't think you'd believe me if I told you. What the fuck? I know. exciting details. God damn it. Um, please. Uh, P.S. I don't care if you say. Okay, Chris. What the fuck, Chris? Okay, we want the details. All right. This says, in my own story, I always swear I never get with a younger guy. I even turned down guys who were a week younger than me. My husband is two years younger than me and the best human I know. Two years isn't much, but when we met, he was 18 and I was 20. The age gap felt much larger then. Thank you for all you do, Chris. Yes, I think in the early <laughs> 20s and teens, the age gap is giant for boys. It's so big. <laughs> Why is that? Hmm. Is it just maturity or what? I don't know. You know, me and my husband were actually talking about this the other day. Because I realize I'm making the mistake of I treat my son differently than my daughter at their age ranges. Wow. Like, when I look back on how I did with Isabel and how I did with Peyton, with Isabel, I wasn't so, like, on top of her. Like, I felt like she was smarter, even though she shouldn't be treated that way. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I felt Mm -hmm. like she was capable. Like, even, Mm -hmm. like, I was telling him Peyton has to walk after school. And I was kind of like, oh, my God, he's going to get lost. I'm going to be able to find this. Isabel, I'm like, she's got this shit. She's fine. Uh She'll figure it out. Mm I don't know if that's like because it's boy and girl or maybe if it's just that each kid is different, you know? Maybe. Like I would probably be more worried about my oldest one getting lost than my youngest one. My youngest one would just be like, I know where I'm going yeah. and I, you don't need to tell me. Maybe. Yeah. It might be. Or I just he's feel just like your she's baby more functional and you're... or I don't know, more. And I'm always maybe like, just the can I do that, that he... because she's a boy or she's a girl mm-hmm. and he's a boy mm-hmm. and I feel like he's not capable I don't know. I think he's just your baby, too. Yeah, maybe. He'll always be the baby. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This one says age gap. I was 27. He was 41. We had a lot in common, and I thought it was going well. We had been together for a year. I hadn't told him about my arthritis as I wanted to see where the relationship was leading. Well, one night I had a muscle slash bone spasm and I could not move my leg. I have osteoarthritis and rheumatoid, which if I overdo things sometimes then can cause me to spasm up. So I called him and told him I had to cancel as I wasn't feeling well. He still wanted to come over and I kept telling him not to worry. I was going to go to bed and rest up, but he insisted. I knew I had to tell him then. So when he showed up, he said, you look fine. Asked him to sit down and I explained to him what happened. He then turned around and called me a liar that he didn't want to take care of someone who would deteriorate as we got older. I explained to him that it would most likely have been me taking care of him since I was 14 years, since he was 14 years older than me. And then I told him to take his sorry ass home. Oh shit. Took me, this, this story took a turn. Yeah. <laughs> Took me a long time to trust a man again, plus horrible thoughts in your head. I've always dated older men. I just have so much more in common with them, and the maturity is also a plus for me. Still looking for my older man. I'm not going to say your name. Wow, that took a turn. Fuck that dude, by the Fuck way. That dude. Not only will you be Fuck taking, men seem to deteriorate faster, too. No shit. Not They're only baby 14 bitches. years. <laughs> Fuck, fuck these assholes. I hate men. I know. <laughs> I say that all the time. I know. Men are trash. All right. So this is one I pulled up an old and I guess I saved it and I forgot to read it or it was in the email pal that my cat likes to attack. (laughs) This one says ER sex stories. I don't know what this is. Here we go. So first off, I'm not caught up on shows, but I'm one of those people who has to do things in order. I started listening because of Kate Canterbury. But if I would have known about this before, I would have been listening a long time ago. I don't even know if you guys are still talking about sex ER stories. I wanted to tell you, thank you for introducing me to Sarah and I. Her books are hilarious and the audio is actually really good. But to the point of this email and not my fangirling. So this is not my actual story, but a nurse. We get to hear, but as a nurse, we get to hear and see the best stories. So I will leave you with two stories. One from a patient I had once who told me how she found out she was allergic to latex. She had, oh, this is going to be bad. She had recently gotten out of a marriage, so hadn't used condoms in years. So she decided she was going to have her first one night stand. She said she had sex, went to the bathroom because she wasn't feeling well. And the one night stand found her passed out in the bathroom. Fuck. 
She had been rushed to the emergency room due to anaphylactic shock by the guy who she didn't even know his name. She was so embarrassed, but also found out she is deathly allergic to latex. The poor girl. I felt so awful for her, but we were able to laugh about it afterwards. Holy shit! That's a fucking allergy. The next one is one I'll tell everyone because it's good info to know. I have mostly been a labor and delivery nurse, so that gives you an idea of the stuff I hear about. I had this young girl, just turned 18, who had a horrible UTI, the worst I had ever seen. I asked her if she wipes front to back and was reinforcing the importance of it. She nodded, understanding, and letting me know that she does. When I left the room, not five minutes later did she call me back in the room. She looked at me super embarrassed and asked if going from anal to vaginal would cause this. <gasps> I looked at her and said, yes, yes, 100% yes. Oh <laughs> I told God. her, you never go as to be to vag. It's the cardinal rule. So now I tell all my patients, no A to J. <laughs> Well, I just wanted you guys to know I love you guys, and I'm sure I'll come up with some other crazy stories. I've heard it all. I won't say her name because she didn't say it. I could say it, and that's like some medical shit. Wow. Yeah, that's something. That's something that you don't think about. You need to tell people. Yeah, and I could not imagine. Like, I feel like I'm a fairly plain person, and I've gotten a UTI, uh-huh. and I wipe right. I couldn't imagine having wiped that way the UTI you can get. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever had a UTI. What is that like? What is? Remember what is when I said UTI? my vagina was hurting a few weeks ago? That's yeah. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. But that it's not like a yeast infection though. Like UTI is a urinary tract yeah, infection. Yeah, it's that, just like, like bacteria gets up in the pee hole. Oh. And so then it I've feels like this weird pressurey pain, and you're like you can't really tell where it's coming from. But it's just like a little bacteria gets up in there in that little tiny hole. Yeah, don't go ask to vag, guys. That's we're saving lives out here. That's what we're doing on the podcast today. <laughs> Dirty dicks, either. Make sure you know where it's love. Yep, exactly. And don't use latex, just in case. Just kidding. No, we're condoms. You're gonna use that, guys. <laughs> we might not it's use okay. it in the books, but you guys are using it. <laughs> just make sure you have a phone next to you for emergencies. <laughs> All right, so we're going to play the second installment of Heart Campaign by Rebecca Gallo. And I just want to tell you, um, if you missed it on the last episode, she has given away signed copies of the Presidential Promises duet. And she's got three new releases coming up. She's got two in October, Daddy in Disguise and Forget Me Not. And then she's got one in November called Room 12, King with a King. These, so, all these I'm titles are wonderful. Yes, right? They are. Perfect. And so we're going to link everything in the show notes. And if you are going to Shameless in Orlando, if you're doing the the book signing there, she's going to be at that one. So check it out. Nice. All right. We'll see All you guys right, on the other them side. Let's the second one. Six. The next day, there's a lightness in my step as I finish scheduling meetings for the First Lady's trip to Canada. At one point, I catch myself humming and when I stop to look around the room, I'm not the only one who noticed. Something is different about you, the first lady says with a smile. Did you and Sean, you know? A warm sensation creeps up my neck. No, I insist. Last night, Sean was true to his word. He was the perfect gentleman and didn't lay a finger on me without permission. There was plenty of kissing between surprisingly deep conversations, but we did not have sex. I'm not entirely certain I'm ready for that step. Too bad. Someone in this administration should be getting laid. I'm pretty sure some of the interns are hooking up with each other, I tell her with a laugh. My computer pings with an alert about a meeting on Capitol Hill, and I remind the First Lady. She scrunches her face in annoyance. I really don't want to go all the way there. Well, we can't cancel on Senator Fillmore. I can go for you, I offer. Thank you, she says with a sigh, before propping her feet up on the coffee table. I gather the necessary files and exit the office, conveniently running into Sean just as the door closes behind me. Hi. 
I greet him with a smile. The anxious butterflies bursting to life inside my belly are a nice surprise. Hey. He leans forward automatically as if to kiss me, but stops and pulls back. Where are you headed? To see Senator Fillmore. The First Lady has a meeting with her today, but she didn't feel up to traveling. I'm going instead. Sean shakes his head and slips his hand around my bicep. Nope, he says with a bit of a growl. You're not going anywhere near Capitol Hill today. Why? Listening to the news is a part of my job, and a terrible habit, and I don't recall hearing about any events happening around Capitol Hill this week. There's a protest near the Senate office buildings. I chuckle. There is always a protest. I'll be okay. He sighs and drops my arm. Then I'll go with you. I roll my eyes but keep my mouth shut. There's no point in arguing with him. If he wants to waste his day, then that's his business. When we arrive at the Russell Senate office building, there's a small group gathered in the park adjacent to it. I smirk at Sean, whose gaze constantly searches the area and whose mouth is turned down into a scowl. You don't have to stay, I tell him as we enter. I'm sure Capitol Police will step in if anything goes awry. He grunts. If it's all the same, I'll stay. Maybe I'll drop in on Senator Tenney. We're old friends. We both walk through the security checkpoint. I drop my bag on the counter so the guard can check it before walking through the metal detector. Sean does pretty much the same thing, emptying his pockets before following me. Before you go, he says, grabbing my hand and pulling me toward an alcove. His hand slides up the side of my neck and through my hair before cupping the back of my head. He leans forward and presses his lips against mine. There is a quiet fierceness in his kiss, claiming me as his. It's a powerful feeling, having him take command of me, teasing my lips apart with his tongue before slipping it inside. I moan, but it's swallowed by the hunger of his kiss. When we break apart, I'm breathless and dizzy. Where am I again? What was I supposed to be doing? My hands grip the lapels of his jacket, and I rest my head against his chest until everything clears up. I couldn't help myself, he whispers, running his hands along my back. I hope I didn't make you late for your meeting. Before I have the chance to respond, a group of security guards runs down the hallway past where we're hidden. We look at each other before stepping out to see what's the matter. That's when I hear the roar of voices outside the building and see the line of security guards creating a barricade at the entrance. Told you we shouldn't have come, Sean mumbles, latching onto my hand. I think your meeting is canceled for today. The boom of the collective voices from the protesters outside increases until it sounds as though they're inside the building. Sean drags me farther and farther down the hall, checking the handles of each door as we pass until one opens. He ushers me inside. What the hell is happening? I breathe out, searching for a place to sit. Sean pulls out his phone, sends a text message, and then glances toward me. It's Wallace Richter. He's been causing all kinds of trouble since he lost his Senate seat during the midterm elections. My heart is pounding wildly in my chest, and my breathing feels heavy. I close my eyes and calm myself with a few deep breaths, but when the voices and noises outside become increasingly louder, panic takes over. Tears trickle down my cheeks, and my sniffles turn to sobs. Mallory, Sean says, hurrying toward me. He gathers me into his arms and strokes my hair. Everything is going to be fine. I don't believe you, I mumble. He pulls away, putting space between us, and cups my face with his hands. His thumbs brush the wetness from my cheeks, and he leans forward to plant a firm kiss on my lips. I'm here, 
and nothing is going to happen to you. I promise. Seven. The noise out in the hallway is almost deafening, and though Sean assures me we're not in danger, I still pace the room, biting my thumbnail. The office we're trapped inside seems to grow smaller by the minute, and all I can think about is how I've wasted these last few years living half a life. Jeremy would be so disappointed in me. Distract me, I demand, when I can no longer take any more of my own thoughts. Distract you? How? Sean's peeled off his suit jacket and rolled up his shirt sleeves, revealing muscled forearms. Those are certainly quite the diversion. I don't know. I throw my hands up and collapse into a wingback chair. Tell me about your childhood or the president's deepest, darkest secrets. My childhood was very boring, and I can't tell you Jameson's secrets because he'd kill me. I groan. Fine, then show me your dick. Sean's eyes bulge out of his head, and then he laughs. Sweetheart, if you want to see that, it's going to cost you. I cannot believe those words came out of my mouth, but I'm intrigued by his response. My gaze narrows. What's the price? A kiss, he answers innocently. I pop up from my chair and walk toward him, making sure my hips have a little extra sway to them. I pop up onto my tiptoes and kiss him quickly. That wasn't a kiss. He grabs me by the waist and reels me in until I'm flush with his body, until I can feel his hardness pressed against my belly. His head dips until his lips brush against mine so gently, I'm not even sure he kissed me. When he pulls away, he's smirking. You call that a kiss? I tease. Of course not, he says, before dropping to his knees. His hands drift up my bare legs before disappearing under the skirt of my dress. What in the world? He flips up the fabric and leans forward, inhaling deeply. Oh, that's what he means. His fingers loop around the waistband of my panties and tug them off, exposing me to him. He looks up at me and smiles before getting his first taste. His tongue is warm against me, but I still shiver at that first moment of contact. My head falls back, and a groan escapes my mouth as he continues to devour me. With his hands firmly planted on my thighs, he feasts, licking and sucking me, teasing my clit with his teeth. It's not long before my body trembles and my breaths come in short pants. My legs are shaking, but Sean holds me steady. If I tumble... It won't be to the floor. It will be headfirst into ecstasy. Oh, God, I murmur, latching onto the top of his head, tugging at his hair with my fingers. He hums his satisfaction, and that's it. I'm done. My orgasm crashes right into me. A soft cry escapes my lips, but I'm sure no one can hear it over the shouting protesters outside. Sean pulls back, placing light kisses on the tops of my thighs. He looks up at me, his mouth glistening, and smiles. Now, that's a kiss, he says. I let out a laugh. <laughs> Does this mean I get to see your dick now? He stands up and his fingers work his belt free before flicking the button at the top of his fly open. Even through the layers of fabric, I can see the outline of his hard cock. I bite down on my lip as he pushes his pants and boxer briefs down his legs and his cock springs free. Well, fuck, 
Ask and ye shall receive. This isn't how I wanted our first time together to be, he says, stalking his way back to me. He reaches down, strokes his cock up and down, and looks at me with the eyes of a predator. But after tasting your pussy, I need to feel it wrapped around my cock. What about protection? The one question that could ruin this entire moment. The devilish smirk returns. I was a Boy Scout, sweetheart. I'm always prepared. He picks up his discarded jacket from the back of a chair, fishes out his wallet and flips it open, plucking a foil packet from the inside. I watch, completely captivated as he tears open the package and then rolls the condom down his impressive length. One last chance to back out, he says. I shake my head in response because my mouth is dry. The words are stuck in my throat. Tell me to stop, and I will. His words reassure me, though it's highly unlikely I'll ask him to stop. I want this. I want him. His hands skim down my waist and then under my dress, lifting it until it bunches around my waist. My back presses against the wall as he guides my legs up and over his hips. With one hand supporting me, he uses the other to guide his cock, notching the tip just inside me. Ready? I nod, right before he presses inside me with a groan. My head tilts back and my mouth pops open as he stretches and fills me. Once he's rooted inside me, he stops and waits, letting my body adjust to his size. I'm good, I breathe out. His hands dig into my hips, holding me steady as he rocks slowly back and forth into me. His head leans to the side as he presses his lips to my neck, kissing and swiping his tongue along the sensitive skin there. You feel so good. He breathes out as his pace increases. My hands claw at his back and sweat pricks my hairline as he pumps into me. His lips manage to find mine, kissing me hard, stealing what little breath I have left in my lungs. When we break apart, I'm gasping for air. Everything about this moment is so consuming. His thrusts become increasingly harder and faster, knocking my head back into the wall more than once. But the pain is temporary. It's easy to focus on how good he makes me feel when our gazes collide and the dark desire in his sapphire blue eyes distracts me from the discomfort of being pressed against a wall. I'm not going to last. He pants. Good, I breathe out. Neither will I. I tighten my hold on him, squeezing my legs around his waist as he surges into me over and over. My poor body bangs against the wall with each drive until he buries himself deeply inside me and groans. At that moment, I break too. The tension in my body snaps, and I succumb to the delicious ecstasy of another toe-curling orgasm. He's still, but I can feel his cock pulsing inside me, and my own body clenches and unclenches around him. Do you think they heard us? I ask with a giggle. Doubtful, he says, just as the doorknob to the office rattles. Anyone in there? A voice shouts from the other side. Eight. The police officers waiting in the hallway give us curious looks as Sean and I exit our temporary sanctuary. He holds my hand firmly as he nods to each officer we pass. Some of them smirk. Oh, God, they know. I won't be able to set foot inside this building ever again. We just need a few minutes with each of you, a detective says once we're outside of the building. Okay, I mumble, 
loosening my grip on Sean's hand. He tugs me back. You can call the White House and make arrangements to get our statements another day. He tells the detective in a firm tone before leading me away from the crowd of law enforcement. This is not how I imagined starting my vacation, he says, looking back at me. He holds my hand as we turn down Delaware Avenue where his car is parked. Are you going anywhere? I ask. I rented a beach house in Maryland for the week. You should come with me. I can't. I made plans to visit Arlington Cemetery this week. I haven't been there since Jeremy's burial. I could come with you, he offers, but I shake my head. This is something I've got to do on my own. He nods. But you're coming home with me tonight, right? I bite my lip and look away, my cheeks heating with embarrassment. Do you really want me to? I'm embarrassed to admit that once the bubble created by our office romp burst, I feared he'd feel differently toward me. He stops, pulls on my hand, and reels me into his embrace. Of course I want you there, he says gently, before kissing me. Okay, I agree with a shy smile. Just let me grab a few things from my place first. Nope, no way. I'm not letting you out of my sight for at least 24 hours. I chuckle, but I don't have any clothes. You don't need any, he says with a wink before swallowing my protests with another kiss. And if you do, then you'll look great in whatever is in my closet. He leads me to his car, and like a true gentleman, opens the passenger door for me. I slip inside and think to myself, why is this easy? Why does being with Sean feel so natural? After Jeremy's death, I thought dating would be too hard. I worried about comparison robbing me of another happy and fulfilling relationship. Except, I haven't tried to judge Sean against Jeremy's memory. My chest aches with guilt, and I press a hand over my heart. Does this mean I'm forgetting my husband? This was a mistake, I mutter as the pain in my chest worsens. I shouldn't be doing this. What's wrong? Sean asks from beside me. My head turns to look at him. I don't think I'm ready to move on. I feel like Jeremy's memory is slipping away, and I don't want that to happen. He leans over the console of the car and rests his hand on the side of my face. His thumb gently strokes my cheek as he tries to calm me. You're never going to forget him, Mallory. He's a part of you forever. How do you know that? I cry. Because every member of my unit who didn't come back is right here. He points to his chest. I remember everything about them, and I think about them all the time. But you weren't married to them. No, I wasn't. But they were and still are very important to me. He starts the car's engine and backs out of the parking space. I have an idea. He drives us through the city, but I'm too distracted to pay attention until we cross the river. Sean, I warn him, please don't do this. Do you remember where Jeremy is buried? Yes, but I don't even have my parking pass with me. We don't need it, he says, stopping at the entrance. He talks to the guard who bends down to look inside the car. I need your identification. I grab my wallet out of my purse and take out my driver's license, handing it to Sean, who then hands it over to the guard. They talk like old buddies, friendly and easy. And after a minute or two, the guard hands back our IDs and we're waved through. He steers the car toward the welcome center and parks. Why are you doing this? I ask, 
hysteria building inside me. Until you realize I'm serious about what's happening between me and you, you'll always look for some way out. I don't want your husband to be the excuse. My hysteria morphs into anger. How dare you? How dare you assume I'm just going to sabotage this relationship? Isn't that what you're doing now, Mallory? We had sex in some senator's office, and once it was over, you started to freak out. I was embarrassed, I yell, surprising both of us. Those officers knew what we did, and it humiliated me. And then I started thinking about how you make it so easy for me. When we're together, I don't think about Jeremy or the giant hole in my heart, and it scared me because I don't want to forget about him. You won't forget about him. But you have to realize there's only one way to fill the hole in your heart. It's time to move on, Mallory. And if you let me in, I know there's space enough in your heart for me and him. Nine. We take the tram from the welcome center to the place where Jeremy is buried, a place I haven't been since his funeral four years ago. The white marble headstone with his name and rank seems to glow in the late afternoon sun. I run a hand over the smooth, curved top and sigh. I don't think I can do this, I say, turning back to Sean, who wraps one arm around me and hugs me close. Take your time, he says, his tone soothing and calm. Do you want me to leave you alone? I shake my head. You don't have to go. Truthfully, his presence is keeping me upright. I was foolish to think I could come here on my own. I kneel and sift my fingers through the blades of grass in front of the stone. I have no idea what to say. And when a few thoughts do pop into my mind, it feels silly to say them aloud. What do I do? I ask, looking up at Sean for guidance. He shrugs. Whatever you feel is right. My mouth opens, and I start talking. I say whatever comes to mind. I tell him about my job as the First Lady's Chief of Staff. I tell him I miss him every day and still love him. I talk about memories from when we were in high school together and from our wedding. I tell him how much I regret not having a wedding do-over because the shotgun wedding in Vegas was cheap and tacky. And I have to look at that photo every damn day, I joke. We both looked terrible. I sniffle and suck in a deep breath before I say the next thing because it will be hard. I think. I'm ready to move on, Jeremy, I admit. My gut feels as if it's been punched and tears stream down my cheeks. People have told me to move on, but I brushed them aside, even though I recognized the truth in their advice. Sean's hand comes down over my shoulder, and I reach up and cover it with my own. This is Sean. I whisper. You'd hate him because he's kind of a jerk, but he grows on you. I like him a lot. He makes me think it's possible to be happy again. Sean crouches next to me and reaches for my hand, holding it loosely in his before bringing it to his lips and kissing the back. Do you mind if I say something? No, I don't mind. I tell him. Mallory is a special woman, but you don't need me to tell you that. He says, glancing at me with a sweet half-smile. She still loves you, which I respect. But I want you to know, I'm going to try and win her heart. I'll take care of her, 
I promise. The emotional turmoil of the day weakens me, and I pitch forward, holding onto the top of Jeremy's headstone and letting my tears fall to the ground beneath me. To anyone passing by, I might look like a widow overcome with grief being comforted by family or a friend. But it isn't grief that consumes me. Are you okay? Sean asks softly. I can't help the laugh escaping my lips. I'm more than okay, I tell him. I sit back on my heels and look at him, a smile spreading across my face. I'm happy. He gets to his feet and then extends his hand toward me, helping me stand. Then he tugs me into his arms, hugging me tight. I won't hurt you, Mallory he murmurs. I only want to love you. I pull back and gasp. I'm not ready to say anything like that to you. Me neither. I'm simply putting you on notice. I'm going to fall in love with you, Mallory. In fact, I might love you for the rest of my life. Only time will tell. As we wait for the tram to pick us back up, my shoulders feel lighter. My grief was a heavy weight around my neck, preventing me from truly living. It was hard for me to find real happiness because I wasn't ready to let myself feel anything but heartache. How was I to know landing a job in the White House would lead me to this moment, standing next to this man who promised to take care of me, just before the tram arrives, I glance back at Jeremy's headstone. One final goodbye to my past, before I turn back to the clear path toward my future, and the man waiting for me. Can I ask you a question? I say to Sean, as we board the tram to head back to the welcome center. You can ask me anything, he replies with a sweet smile as he slips his arm around my shoulders. Why haven't you found anyone to love? Like Jameson, my life has always been about service. First, it was serving our country. Then it was public service and helping Jameson get elected. I don't regret dedicating my life to him and to our country because, ultimately, it led me to you. I hum. But that still doesn't answer my question. I persist. He chuckles. Okay, fine. It's just easier to not be involved with anyone, especially since Jameson makes my life very difficult. Your life is still pretty demanding, I remind him. Why not wait until the end of his presidency? Jameson is settled now. He has a beautiful wife and a baby on the way. He doesn't depend on me nearly as much as he used to, which means I'm free to finally get what I want. And you want me? He nods. I definitely want you. 10. Oh, fuck! I cry out, my back arching off the bed and my hand reaching back to slap the headboard. Fuck, fuck, fuck! Sean laughs as he slams into me before dropping his head and kissing me hard, swallowing more of my expletive-filled cries. Hold on a little bit longer, he whispers in my ear, as his fingers dig into my hips, pinning them to the mattress. I don't think I can. Thanks to bad weather and the newness of our relationship, we haven't really left the sanctuary of the master bedroom. I've lost count of the number of orgasms I've had over the past few days. A familiar tension builds inside me until I snap, exploding and shaking as I fall into blissful ecstasy. Sean grits his teeth, groaning as he pummels me over and over until he lets out a feral growl, his cock pulsing inside me. His breath is hot and heavy against my skin 
as he clings to me, riding out the last waves of his own orgasm. He turns his head and buries it in my neck, his arms coming up to rest on either side of my head, creating a cage for us both. We should leave this bed, I say, once my heart and breathing have calmed. My stomach growls loudly, and we should get something to eat. He hums. But that means putting on clothes, and I really enjoy the sight of you naked. I laugh and push him off me. Slowly, I sit up before swinging my legs over the side of the bed and padding into the attached master bathroom to clean up. I hear him move around the bedroom, muttering to himself about how women are so demanding because we want to eat. I smile and chuckle softly. Here's a crazy idea, he says, popping his head into the bathroom. Let's elope. The towel I was using to dry my hands drops to the floor. What did you just say? He shrugs as if he suggested having Italian over seafood for dinner. Let's elope. Let's get married. I blink. I know what eloping means. Why would you even joke about that? I'm not joking, Mallory. I'm serious. I want to marry you. Now. We barely know each other. We've worked together for two years. He counters. You haven't even taken me out on a real date. Dates are overrated. I'm still processing my grief. He puts his hands on his hips and purses his lips. None of these are truly valid reasons for us not getting married right here, right now. It's a Sunday. All of the government offices are closed. Fine, but first thing tomorrow morning, we're figuring out what we need to do to get married. He leaves me standing in the middle of the bathroom, absolutely stunned. Only a few days ago, he said he wasn't ready to say he loved me. Now he wants to get married. Talk about emotional whiplash. Wait a minute, I call, storming out of the bathroom. Do you love me? He turns and blinks a few times. I thought it was obvious by now. But how? How can that be? He saunters toward me, slipping one hand around my naked waist and tugging me forward. It's pretty simple, actually. I've fallen in love with you slowly since the day we started working together. And now, I'm head over heels in love with you. I love you and I don't want to live a single day without you in my life. My breath catches in my throat and my heartbeat falters. Holy shit. No one has ever said anything like that to me. Not even Jeremy. The question is, he says softly, running his fingers through my hair. Do you love me? That is the million-dollar question. Do I love Sean? Yes, I whisper. Do I love him enough to marry him? I stand on tiptoe and slip my hand around the back of his neck, running my fingers through the short strands of blonde hair. My lips brush his, and when I fall back to my feet, I say to him, Let's get married. This has been Heart Campaign by Rebecca Gallo. Read for you by Kit Swan. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Thanks, Rebecca, for sending us your book. Heart Campaign is so sweet. And we just really appreciate you being with us. Thanks for hanging out. And I hope we didn't embarrass you too much. (laughs) <laughs> that, that you don't hate us for all this. Oh, I want to say. Abby next, next week, week, don't we? Ah, we have Abby. Do you know, Um, I read out Tilda Martell's book bio, 
Abby texted me that day and she was like, are you going to read my book bio? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, don't read it yet. I got to change it. (laughs) She was like, Matilda's is so good because she's the one that's like, if you want like dark romance, this is the wrong place Mm -hmm. for you or something. She was like, hers is so good. I need to change mine. (laughs) Hers was really good. Yeah, it was really good. Which so, mention, yeah. I want to mention that if you listened to that last week, a new book, and that came out at the end of last week, and it looks like it's like a preacher or church book. So mm-hmm. you guys can pick it's that up now. Dirty. Mm-hmm. Well, again, thanks, Rebecca. And um, join us back next week for Abby Knox and her her whole new series she's got is Roadside Attraction. I love it. I, I can't wait to tell you guys all about it. It's going to be so cute. Yeah, that's it. Make sure you enter this week's giveaway. Follow us everywhere and check the show notes for all the new stuff that's coming. So tell them what to that's do. That's it. Fuck your day up. Make your day your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance.